Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We hope that you are encouraged by the message that you're about to hear. Uh, And we'd really appreciate uh, if you would subscribe on Apple Music or follow us on Spotify. That really helps us continue uh, to do the work that we are doing. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the message. Some of my earliest memories in church revolve around music. It's not because I am particularly musical, but just growing up in church, being a pastor's kid that I was, music seemed to play a significant part of our journey. I remember on Wednesday nights when it was Bible study night, we didn't have it at the church. We would have it at someone's house. And so we'd load up as a family. We'd go to someone's house and we'd get all the chairs in a circle. My dad would lead the Bible study, but he would also pull his guitar out and he would lead us through some music. And I have distinct memories sitting at his feet, playing with my G.I. Joes or my Ninja Turtles. And there my dad is leading us through I'll Fly Away or How Great Thou Art or one of the great hymns or choruses of the faith while this little choir of people sang uh, on these Wednesday nights. I remember getting older and being given a really distinct responsibility in the church. Now, if you grew up in rural country churches, especially about my age, this was a sought after job and the teens all wanted it, but because I'm the pastor's kid, I beat them out for the job more times than not. I was given the responsibility of changing the transparency for the overhead projector. It was a big deal. We knew nothing of PowerPoint. We knew of the old projector, of the old overhead coming out, tilting the bulb so it shot in the right spot on the wall. You were given a stack of transparents. The great ones were typed up, but the homebrewed ones were just my dad's handwriting, writing the song out. And you had to learn how to move the transparent on the overhead because it was opposite. If you went one way, it moved the other way by the time it hit the wall. It was a fantastic responsibility. I remember getting it and wanting to own that job for years to come, but I had to share. I also remember uh, being a pastor's family, and I do believe it was in the pastor's job description that if you had four members of your family, you were obligated to have a family quartet, and that pastor family quartet was to do special music with regularity during the offering. And so there we were, daddy sang bass, mama sang tenor, and the little kids standing there in the front, uh, me and my little shirt and my tie and my hair parted over. And that was just kind of normal deal. And then uh, even later in life, and again, it just gets weirder, I think, my dad would let my sister and I, who we both played saxophone, play our saxophone special for the offering. And uh, I'll save the saxophone stories for another sermon on another date. But I've told Tom that if he behaves himself well, before he retires, I will play the saxophone for the offering, maybe just one time. But there's something about music that plants deep in our memories. There's an emotional connection that happens with music. And I'm guessing for many of you, whether you grew up in church or not, music plays a significant part in your life. And if you're in church, it has played a significant part through most of church history. I mean, I can just read a few of the great songs of our faith, and I'm guessing if you close your eyes, it will take you back somewhere. If you hear these lyrics, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed." Or you hear these lyrics, "'And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said.'" If, if it all reveals your nature, so will I. 
I can see your heart in everything you say. Every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. Or how about this one? And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Just earlier in the service, we sang, we sang these few words. You turn mourning into dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. Whether the words are simple or complex, whether they're repeated or nuanced and pulled out, these words and that music resonates in us. It plants itself deep inside of us. I think God uses music for that very purpose. Maybe you're going through a difficult season in life and everything was chaotic, but that song calmed you down. That song put your feet back on the ground. That song refocused you in the chaos back to the fundamental and foundational pieces of your faith. Maybe for some of you, the song gave you language that you couldn't find. You were going through a season of life and it felt like your soul wanted to come out of your chest. And the song came along at just the right time. And you were like, yes, like that and more. And, and music does that for us. It gives us language when we can't find it. And, and, and you have your own things. You have your memories that you go back to a childhood, maybe when your mom was playing piano for you. Music does this, but it also shapes our theology. And sometimes what happens during music is that while we're singing it, we're actually declaring theological truths. And so music doesn't just become a catchy hymn or a catchy lyric or the beat or the melody or the change the chord halfway through, change the key. It's not even just about the singability of the song. It's about the truth of the song we're declaring. And so when we gather as a church to worship, whether it's digital or whether it's in the big room together, the music isn't about, is this my favorite song? Do I like this song? Do I like the instruments that are being played to declare this song? Those are all far secondary. The issue becomes with worship, is this declaring truth? And then where it takes you is kind of between you and God. But what we have in Colossians here today is a hymn. What you heard read a few minutes ago, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, is a song. It, it was there, how great thou art. It was there, it is well. It was a song they used to do something. It had a purpose. Now, we don't believe Paul wrote this song. We don't believe this is a hymn that he wrote. Uh, he definitely is the John Wesley of the Charles Wesley brothers. Charles writes the songs. John preaches. Paul's preaching. We don't know who wrote the song. But what we believe to be true is that Paul is using a familiar song to the people to connect with the people group that he's not familiar with. So he's using one of their songs. And like I said, the purpose of the song is to ground their feet, theologically speaking. So we're going to unpack the song in just a moment. But if you read through Colossians, you will notice some theme language. Read through Colossians chapter 2 specifically this afternoon and notice how many times Paul says, let no one condemn you, deceive you, capture you, let no one. He's saying, be careful, be on guard, watch out what people are trying to do for you, to do to you. Watch also as you read through Colossians, how many times wisdom is brought up. 
Wisdom is this sought after thing that we would want to possess. Look at how many times knowledge is talked about and described in Colossians. Look at the mystery language he uses around the gospel. There is this idea, be careful what others are doing to you and you ought to know what you believe. Watch out for the outside, protect the inside. And so he uses this song to actually speak into the opposition. The opposition they were faced at that time was that people were challenging Jesus' identity. You heard earlier Jason talk about this great gospel that Jesus makes a way for us, this transferring us from one kingdom to another. And instead of attacking the gospel or the transference of kingdoms, people started attacking the person doing the transferring. What's the point to arguing the gospel if you can actually discredit the author of the gospel? And so these people group are going through this issue where people were attacking Jesus himself. Paul grabs this hymn that they recognize and puts on the table and uses it as a defense. Their music wasn't just catchy, it served a theological purpose. And so when you read through the hymn, it may be short, but it is explosive. I would love to take the time and do it due diligence and walk you through the layers of nuance that is in that rich hymn. We don't have the time for that today. Maybe we'll do that in another setting. But what you see in this hymn in 15 to 20, if you have your Bibles with you, you see 15 down to 18, and we call it 18a. The first half of that verse, we call the second half 18b. But 18 is actually split in half where the theme shifts. Verses 15 to 18a is Jesus' role in creation, and then 18b, we call it the back half of 18 to 20, is Jesus' role in redemptive history. So you could say Jesus' role in creation and Jesus' role in recreation. Jesus and how he's affecting both parts. So let me walk you through kind of what's going on there because there's some significant things at play. Now, I'm not going to go word by word or verse by verse, but let me walk you through four themes of each half of the song, and then we'll kind of draw it to a conclusion at the end. In all this rich language that we see Paul using, we see him start up by saying this Jesus, this Christ, is the image of the invisible God, this image language. Now, there would have been no issue if we said that Jesus was made in the likeness of God. That's true about us. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you see the creation account where God says to, to the Trinity, let us make man in our image. The likeness is not the issue. What, what Paul is saying in this song is it's not that Jesus is like God. He's the exact image of God. So when you ask the question, of, as I have asked and you have asked, what is God like? Look to Jesus. Now, what people do is they take Old Testament God and pit that against New Testament Jesus. That is a false dichotomy and is not part of our faith. If you want to know what God the Father is like, look directly into the face of Jesus. When you come to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the, the preacher there says that, that Jesus is the exact representation or the exact imprint of the Father. If you think of your fingerprints and how unique they are to you, the, the preacher is saying they bear the same fingerprints. Jesus is God. That is an explicit 
explosive thing to a crowd hearing that song for the very first time. You also see them saying that Jesus is not just the image of God. He is supreme. Christ is over all of creation. Now, the language is is tricky here because Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation. And some people have thought that Jesus was God's first created being. You have Adam and Eve here, but really you have Jesus over here. When, when, When Paul uses the language, the firstborn of all creation, that is not a birth order statement. That is a birthright statement. That is that Jesus has the full inheritance of the Father. He is above creation. He sits, as as one translation says, preeminent or supreme. He is not like other people. He is God and he he is supreme sitting over creation. We enjoy creation. One of the great things we're happening right now while we are unfortunately on lockdown is that the weather is changing and we are getting out and enjoying creation. It's not just that Jesus enjoys creation. He sits over creation. He has authority over creation. It's not that Jesus goes out into the boat like I do and enjoy the wind and the waves. He has authority to speak over the wind and the waves. The third thing we see in this first part of the song is that Christ is eternal. He has always been. Now, we gather in the church and declare at Christmas, Jesus' birthday, baby Jesus born in a manger, That is not the beginning of Jesus. That is the beginning of the second member of the Trinity taking on human form, as Paul says in Philippians, that he did not think equality with God as something to be grasped, but stepped down into our place, took on form for us. He took on our likeness. And so we declare boldly in the song that Jesus is eternal And if you really want to deep dive later, deep dive into the language that Paul uses around creation, that all things are made in him and through him and for him. What does it mean to have Jesus standing there in creation as it's being formed? What does it mean that creation is being formed in Jesus? There is so much depth and richness. And while I don't have time to pull out all that, all the layers there, Jesus was there with the father in the beginning. He has always been. He is eternal. We also see that Christ is powerfully holding all things together. This Christ is sovereign. This Christ, this Jesus of ours, did not just come to rule over the Jewish people. He came to rule over people. And not just people, but rulers and leaders. And not just in the seen world, but in the unseen places. That Christ will rule over all of creation and every knee will bow. There is this, this, this sovereignty to the language of Jesus that he came into our history at a time and a place, but he rules over all of it. Now, this is just the first couple of verses of the first half of the song. Like I said, we could spend hours teasing out what to the Jewish people was a highly risky song to be declared. This was not like the crowd favorite. This had a a friction about it. It rubbed up against what their perceived theology was. And so now we have the second half of the song, Jesus over recreation. We have him saying that he is the head of the church. Christ is the unifier of the church. I, I, this might be my favorite one because of my personal bents of seeing churches work together and be unified. We are not unified by our denominational lines. 
boy, we love to hide behind, behind them sometimes. But our, unif- our unification, our being unified is not being under our denominational flag, but being under the lordship and head of Jesus Christ. He is the unifier. It's not our theological distinctives. Are we Reformed? Are we Wesleyan? Are we Arminian? Are we this? Are we that? Do we believe this about end times? Do we believe? That is not the point. We rally around the person and work of Jesus. And shame on us when we let our distinctives creep in and put a divide in the bride that Christ loves dearly. And so Christ is the unifier of the church. He rallies us together and he is the one head. It says that he is also the firstborn of the dead. Tricky language, but the idea is he is the resurrected Jesus. Jesus punched a hole in history. Jesus made a way for us for something that was completely impossible, but also inconceivable. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Christ is the first resurrected one. But he also goes on to say, if Christ didn't resurrect, then nobody resurrects. And if Christ didn't resurrect, our faith is futile and foolish. See, I think one of the things that they did know at this time and they were declaring against is that if you want to erode the faith, you don't have to do it through peripheral issues. If you want to erode the Christian faith, it starts and ends with Jesus. It starts and ends with the resurrection. And so the church stands strong declaring that Jesus is the resurrected one. And if he resurrected, he will lead us in a resurrection. It moves deeper into the course as as Paul declares that all the fullness of God dwelt in Christ. All the fullness of God in Christ. Jesus is fully God. You'll hear people conversationally say, that Jesus is 50% God and 50% man, making him a 100% person. That's not true. He's not partially human and he's not partially God. He is 100% God and he is 100% man. He comes in the fullness of God, understanding the Father, and he comes in the fullness of man, knowing that he suffered and was persecuted and was tempted in every way that we were so that we can approach the throne of grace of confidence, knowing that our Savior understands. He's not 75%. He is not 98.6% God. 100% God, 100% man, all the time. He stands uniquely in that place. It also says that Christ came to reconcile all things. What a great way to end, that Jesus would reconcile all things to himself. He is the reconciler. What Paul is doing here, and he's bringing, using this hymn to do something masterful. He is saying, Jesus is not just in creation, he is Lord over creation. He is Lord over the wind and the waves and the moon and the sun and the stars, and he holds it in the palm of his hand. And then he brings in the reconciling work. And then in the next couple of verses, he talks about our ability or our opportunity to be reconciled back to the Father. This is what you heard Jay say earlier at the end of the worship set. But here's what Paul is doing masterfully with this, with this hymn. He is saying, the Jesus that holds creation in the palm of his hand wants to hold you in the palm of his hand. See, what we do sometimes is we emphasize Jesus as Savior, and that is really important. We celebrate and we worship because Jesus is Savior, but sometimes we're salvationists. We just want Jesus to save us, but we forget he holds everything in the palm of his hand. 
if you only have Jesus as Savior, what do you do when you have outside problems that aren't church issues? What do you do with your issues in your marriage, in your workplace, in your family, in your addictions? When you think Jesus is there to save me from hell, to get me to heaven, I'm a salvationist. No, what Paul is saying, Jesus is Savior and Lord. He stands and holds your salvation in the palm of his hand, but he holds your marriage. He holds your finances. He holds Nova Scotia in the middle of a COVID lockdown in the palm of his hands. He holds your frustrated kids who are sick and tired of getting on the computer for their classes. He holds that in the palm of his hands. He holds your doctor's appointment in the palm of his hands. See, what he wants you to do is not just see his Savior, see him as Lord. He is both his role and his identity squished together. This is why we worship. This is who we worship. And when the opposition was hitting the feet of the church here, they stand defiant and boldly declaring these things we believe. So what if this afternoon we did something similar? While we can't meet together and declare the truth of the gospel and declare the boldness of our identity of our Lord and Savior, what if we did it differently though? What if we picked a place? What if you got in your favorite chair What if you went for a drive? What if you went to your favorite beach? You picked a place, a place that means something to you. Then you picked a device. Maybe you take your tape recorder out, get your old cassette tapes out of your favorite quartet. Maybe you get uh, the CDs out. Maybe you get Apple Music out. Maybe you pull out the records and get the record player out. You pick a place and you pick a device. And what if you pull out your favorite song? I'm guessing you have one. I'm guessing if you're watching this, even if you're not actively believing in Jesus today, if you have some spiritual rootage, I am guessing there's a song that means something to you. What if you pulled your worship music out of any genre, of any age, of any style, and you pull that out and you just sit in your favorite place with your favorite device with that meaningful song and do this for me, would you? Put it on repeat and sit back, get comfy, Walk the beach, do what you got to do, and let that hymn, let that song just go on repeat. Not because it's catchy, not because it's singable, because it declares something bold and true about our faith. And just let God strengthen you. Let God assure you. Let God speak to you today the way he spoke to the Colossian church through Paul the first time they heard that great song. Thank you for joining us in Colossians chapter one. I hope you dig and I hope you sing loudly on tune or out of tune this afternoon.